Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us, and we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day, and I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events, and uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Great time. I'm, I'm going to share with you something I preached uh, Sunday afternoon. I'm flipping this on Brother Roberto in case he's translating in the last minute. I taught this on Sunday, and uh, had I been here Sunday morning, I would have taught it. And so I want to teach it tonight because uh, God is getting us ready. He's put, putting everything in order, amen, for new souls to be born into the kingdom. Now, some people go about it haphazardly. They just, you know, just whenever and whatever. But God is not a God of, of disorder. Amen. And, and a lot, I've seen a lot of, you know, churches and, you know, they pray a lot of people through or whatever, but there's no sticking because there, 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 there's kind of no order to it. God is a God of order, right? And so uh, he told the children of Israel, he said, look, if you want growth, you, you need to lengthen the cords of your, tip, your, your tents. And then drive your stakes down further. So there's a progress of growth. There's the lengthening of the cord and the deepening of the stakes. I told somebody the other day, I said, there's two mo- the two most sterile rooms that you'll probably go into. One, well, neither one of them you'll remember as a patient. One is a baby. A delivery room is very sterile, right? Nobody, no lady says, pull over at Motel 6. I'll have the baby there. No. Uh-uh. No, I'm, I'm good in the back of the truck. Tell the ambulance, keep going. We're, we're just having to, right over here by these rusty chains and a can of gas. No, the delivery room is very sterile. And what shocked me was when I went to work for a funeral home, when I walked into the mortuary room, it was as sterile as a delivery room. And I jokingly said to the mortician, which you find out they got a really dead sense of humor. I said, what, I mean, I said, man, it's like they were putting on little booties on their shoes and gloves just to walk in. I was like, man, are you afraid you're going to catch something? Are you, I said, you afraid that your patient's going to catch something? He looked at me and goes, no, I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about getting something. And so two places of vulnerability are when a baby's being born, you got to protect that baby from viral viruses and infections and bacteria. And the other thing is when you're around a dead body. Amen. And so be careful when you're around people who have a form of godliness, but deny the life or the power of it. Amen. You got to disinfect yourself from that. And so as we're going in this direction, the Lord put this on my heart a while back. And I want to teach on this tonight. Sunday, I preached on it. And tonight I want to teach on it. Of course, the difference between preaching and teaching is teaching is telling and preaching is yelling. Amen. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell it a little bit tonight. I may yell a little bit. But I want to talk about Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Amen. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that. A certain lawyer stood up and tempted the Lord, saying, What shall I do? He wasn't interested, it doesn't seem, in eternal life. That's the same terminology. The Bible said Jesus was led to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And one passage, he's tempted of the devil. Another passage, he's tempted of a lawyer, which tells me that a lawyer and the devil 
I'm just, I'm just kidding, all right? But you, <laughs> amen. Tempted of the, watch, he was tempting him, what shall I do uh, to, in, to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus answers a question with a question, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Here's what the lawyer said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus answered to him and said, oh, you missed it. There's a whole lot more to it than that. Uh, all your education failed you. No, that's not what he said. Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Well, we complicate living for God, don't we? You know, the, the reason why some people, a lot of people can't love other people is because they don't love themselves. And I'm not talking about a prideful kind of love. I'm talking about they, they can't forgive themselves, so they can't love themselves. This is why they can't love other people. Because you treat others the way you feel about yourself most often. Amen. And we got a whole podcast series on shame. You can go back and listen to on that. We do a deep dive in that. Uh, verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Salty lawyer, who is my neighbor? Well, duh, but Jesus answered and said, look, look to what he says. And a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Everybody say half dead. Amen. My, my mom, they, they used to say that all the time. That scared me half to death. Scared me. And I thought to myself, what happens if you get scared half to death twice? But they said he left him half dead. Everybody say half dead. Amen. You, you'll get on the way home. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite. And when he was at the place, came and looked down on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, everybody say a certain Samaritan. Now, anytime you see Jesus use the word certain in a parabolic form, I believe that he is thinking of an incident. This, this is not something he's just pulling out of thin air. This is a true story. And he said a certain Samaritan, everybody say a certain Samaritan. As he sojourned, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in the oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave, him, uh, gave them to the host, and said unto them, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And the lawyer responds and says, uh, in verse 37, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. All right, so I, I want to uh, speak on this thought. This is pretty profound. I'm going to give you my title. I, I mean, you may faint from the perplexity of this title the weight of its intellectual capacity. You ready for this title? The Good Samaritan. I'm going to talk to you about the Good Samaritan and what that means. Amen. Let's pray together right now. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the family of God. I pray, Lord, you would open our understanding, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us insight, 
that you would give us direction, that you would give us instruction. And Lord, I pray like never before, would you give us, Lord, that, that, that burning fervor, Lord, to be that good Samaritan in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise God. Everybody say the good Samaritan. Now we've all heard this story uh, uh, plenty of times or at least heard it related to but <clears throat> I can I can rarely recount too many times that I've heard this story necessarily talked about with with any detail um, at all and so that's what I intend to do I, and I don't want you to let what I'm going to tell you um, cause you to panic but I'm going to give you 16 points of the Good Samaritan and uh, so that means if I average two minutes on each point then that would be 30 minutes but you know me it's going to be more like three so we'll be a little about 45 minutes so don't panic and think 16 points five minutes on each one we're going to be here all night amen uh but but this is a very very important story uh because anytime someone is asking what they have to do to inherit eternal life our ears need to go up and we need to tune in to what jesus is saying there uh, now, notice Jesus did not say, repent of your sins, be baptized in my name, and receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. That's because the dispensation of grace had not yet begun, which is post-resurrection. And so what he is telling is someone that is uh, seeking eternal life through the law. How do I find it? And uh, they were emphasizing this part of loving your neighbor. The lawyer who asked Jesus this question was a part of the official theologians of their time. Their work was related to the law of Moses and the everyday life of the Jewish people. He attempts to stump Jesus uh, with the question of all questions. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He thought he was really going to catch Jesus off guard by this. And as often was his custom... Jesus answered the question of the lawyer by asking him a question. Basically, what does the law say and what does it mean to you? You know you are an intellectual inferior when the person you're arguing with starts asking you questions about the questions you just asked. You ever, you ever talk to somebody that was always given a question back? And, and it wasn't just like, what do you think? It would, they would take your question and they would jumble up the words and flip it around and stick it right back in your face. And it's like a hot potato. I don't know what to do with this. That's, that's what Jesus did. In other words, what Jesus was saying was to the lawyer, you've got the right doctrine, but you've got the wrong spirit. He knew that the law said to love God and to love his neighbor, but he wanted to narrow down the definition of neighbor so that it would not challenge or change the lifestyle he was currently living. You see, the Jews only counted fellow Jews as neighbors. To them, anyone that was a non-Jew was a dog. And so this lawyer wanted affirmation of his prejudice by saying, who is my neighbor? In other words, he was saying, I want you to tell me that only those of the seed of Abraham or the Abrahamic covenant uh, are my neighbors because I'm already treating them fairly well. Go ahead and tell me that, that, that I can treat Samaritans like the dogs that they are. 
that I can treat the Romans like the pigs and infidels that they are. But he didn't say that. Uh, Jesus gives us the moral, uh, 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 this moral parable of telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And when he tells uh, uh, the law, you're basically do good to anyone who is in need. But he also packs this parable with divine thoughts that, that'll convey several lessons to us, not merely just the moral lesson of treat people good. Uh, I guess if you boil it down to its concentrate, that's what it's saying, is do good to others. But there are 16 points uh, of the Good Samaritan that I want to talk about and break it down in those 12 verses that I read to you. Number one, uh, let's focus on the words, and a certain man. Geographically, or it said, and a certain man went down, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Geographically, one always went up to Jerusalem, but you went down to Jericho. It was a distance of 17 miles to travel. Jericho was uh, down and Jerusalem was up. Jerusalem was known as the place of blessing, while according to Joshua 6 and 26, Jericho was a cursed city by God. And so it was up to the blessing of God, Jerusalem, down to the curse of God, which is Jericho. And so therefore the Jews treated anyone from the Jericho that, that like they were the plague and the cancer that they thought that they were. So the travel, traveler symbolizes any person walking away from the purpose of God in their life. Just like when the Bible says that, that Jonah went down to Tarshish. See, God had called him up to Nineveh. Jonah, go up to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He got in a boat and the Bible said he went down to Tarshish. Anytime you leave the will of God, you are in a downward position. Amen. You're in a downward position. If you want to stay in the will of God, it is an upward trajectory. Amen. It's easy to go down. It's hard to go up. Uh, Monday when we, we went down the hill to the lake, Brother Reuben, I'm still feeling that burn in my legs. I don't know about you. Brother David, that was, that was painful. Amen. <laughs> I, I carried, them two kayaks were a lot heavier going up than they were coming. I actually joked I could get in this kayak and somebody pushed me down that hill, but then I'd ended up in worse position than Brother John is in right now. I'd probably be in a full body cast. <laughs> Amen. But but the up, but I remember going up and man, we had to carry ice chests and chairs and pop-up tents and ladies, just know we did that for y'all. Us guys, we'd have been happy in the mud. We would we didn't need the tent. We didn't need all the fancy ice chests and the canvas chairs and you ladies had it decorated so beautiful and it was so, uh, it was so set up so nice and everything. We, we, we look around and, and, and the women just made it this beautiful place. If it was guys, it would have been ice chests stacked on top of one another and we'd have just kicked out a place in the rocks and we'd have sat there. Amen. But going down was easy. It was the coming up that was the hard part. Listen. Listen, going up and living for God, the higher you climb in living for God, amen, there's going to be muscle fatigue from time to time, but the Bible said God gives grace to the humble, amen, and he gives us his strength to help us climb, amen. And then number two, the Bible said that this certain man who, who 
was leaving Jerusalem and going down to Jericho, the Bible said he fell among thieves. Everybody say fell among thieves. Now, we're not certain necessarily as to what the context means by that, but he fell among the thieves. We, we don't know whether that means that he took up with bad companions who eventually turned on him or whether he was simply robbed by strangers. I see this in a lot of third world countries that I travel in. When I go to the market, the person who's most friendly is the one I'm getting away from. Because they, they usually have an agenda to it. Oh, come over here, my friend. I want to show you this. Now, I'm not going over there to show you nothing. Because I know what you, you don't care nothing about. You know, in the Philippines, it's, hey, Joe, hey, Joe, come here. Hey, Joe, hey, Joe. And they're trying to get you around the corner. Now, they may only be that tall. But somebody around the corner in the shadow with a baseball bat cracking me in the head is the great equalizer. And so when they're being friendly, come with us. We want to show you this. And they got a brother-in-law that's running a stand over there. And he's selling, you know, black market Gucci purses and everything like that. And somebody's going to lift your wallet out of your, out of your pocket while you, believe me, this is what they do for the others going, I don't believe people do that. You ain't never been, so you don't know. You just sit there in your American bliss and act because they don't do that to you at Walmart. That's how they do it over there. They see an American and they see dollar signs. And so the most friendly person to me in the market is the one I'm walking away from. I'm good by myself. I can handle myself. I know where to go, where, where not to go. And so, most likely, this is probably what happened to this man, this man, this certain man going down. He caught up with bad companions. He fell among thieves. And, and, and most likely, I think, it was a group of men like that. Oh, you're going to Jerusalem? Man, we're going to Jerusalem too. Why don't we just tag along? Man, there's safety in numbers. And there, we don't know how many there were. There could have been two. There could have been five. And uh, man, they're, they're, hey, you want a drink of my Gatorade? I, I don't know if they... It was Gatorade. It's Camelade, okay? You want some of my Camelade? And, 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 <laughs> and, and they're, you know, just, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, things went from bad to worse, just like that. And he falls to, to these thieves, and they beat him. Amen. Whether we intend to sin or we just fall prey to temptation, I want you to know something. Sin is a thief. And a robber that will eventually turn on everybody. You, you can't be the friend. You can't be a friend to the enemy. He is your enemy and he is going to turn on you. Number three, the Bible said, which stripped him of his raiment. Satan has always desired to strip mankind of the garments of salvation, righteousness, and praise. Satan has always wanted to strip mankind of those three things. Salvation, righteousness, and praise. Let me show you. In Isaiah 61 and 10, the Bible says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. So even the Lord said, I'm going to adorn you. I'm going to clothe you. Then Isaiah 61 and 3 says, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of Praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Amen. The enemy wants to strip you of your salvation. He wants to strip you of your righteousness and he wants to strip you of the garment of praise because 
He is a thief and that his, his intention is to take off of you what he can never have himself. Amen. You ever knew those people that, that, that if they couldn't get it, they would take it or they would destroy it? Amen. I, I knew a guy that did that uh, uh, one year to youth camp and, and they were, uh, looking back, I guess they were poor, but he was a mean poor. He couldn't stand anybody else having anything. And a young man showed up with a new pair of, uh, a new pair of British Knight t- uh, uh, tennis shoes. And those were a big deal back. Remember the BKs? And uh, this guy was wearing KBs, I guess. You know, they were. And this, this guy wasn't showing off his BKs. He was just wearing them. And it made that, that kid so mad that when he went to sleep, he, he ruined the guy's shoes, filled him up with bubble gum, chewed bubble gum, and all kinds of and ruined his shoes. You see, that's, that's the way the devil is. He knows he can't have your garment of praise. He knows he can't have your righteousness. And he knows he can never be saved. So since he can't have it, he is more than happy to destroy what God has given you. You've got to make sure the company you keep, you're not keeping a company that's going to take off and try to destroy the robe of righteousness, the garment of praise, amen, and the garments of salvation, amen. Number four, the Bible says, and wounded him. Everybody say, and wounded him. Listen, Satan and his demonic themes will inflict great wounds on mankind by the treachery of violence, immorality, and addiction. That is what the devil does. Isaiah 1 and 6 says, From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. John 10 and 10, Jesus says this about the thief. He said, The thief cometh not but for to steal to kill and to destroy but i am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly amen the enemy is not your friend satan is not your friend you know this he has come to wound he has come to destroy he has come to kill but jesus has come to bring life and not just life but abundant life to us amen number five leaving him departed Uh, and departed and leaving him half dead. Every person who has not experienced biblical salvation is half dead. Only because the outer part of them, the body and the mind is alive. But their spirit is dead. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says their spirit is dead. They're alienated from God because of sin. And unless they make a choice to change it, this is an eternal condition. The spirit is dead, and because the spirit is dead, the flesh is now in charge. They're led by their intellect, they're led by their emotions, and they're led by their will. And such a person who is led by their flesh cannot understand spiritual concepts. It's foreign to them. This is why trying to explain to somebody that's not saved why you love to pray, they don't understand it. When you try to tell somebody who's a sinner who's led by the appetite of their flesh that you love going to the house of God, they can't wrap their mind around it because they are, they are alienated, amen, from the faith, amen. Uh, their body becomes a, merely a tool for acting out lust and the passion of their flesh but Ephesians chapter 1 or excuse me chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 says and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince and the power of the air 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even, even as others. First Timothy 5 and 6 says, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. In other words, when you are spiritually minded, there is, Paul said in Romans 8, amen, when you are spiritually minded, there is life. But when you are carnally minded, it is death. Amen. Number six, the Bible said, Jesus said, there came a certain priest. Everybody say a certain priest. Now, now this is where the rubber starts meeting the road. This is where the gravy sticks. So just hold on to this part. There came a certain priest. Now, this is the point you would think, oh, religion's coming in. Religious people, this ought to be great. That's what the lawyer thought. The priest represented the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. And that's why the priest didn't even stop to look at the man. Because the Old Testament had no mercy. So the priest walked by and didn't even observe the man in his pitiful condition. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 28 says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. James 2 and 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and offend, uh, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. In other words, you can keep the whole law of Moses, but if you miss one of them, all the other laws of Moses collapse down on you. Because the law has no mercy. You get everything else right and miss one point, And you're guilty of every violating every other law. And that's why the priest would not even look at the man laying in the ditch who was dying. Because the law of Moses, the old covenant law, had zero mercy. It had zero tolerance. Amen. Uh, the seventh thing, the Bible said, Jesus said, and likewise a Levite. Now, Levites represented the ceremonial law of God, temple sacrifices, things of that nature. The Levite was a priest, but he was a specific priest. His role was the ceremonial function of the law of Moses. The Levite at least stopped and looked at the man, but he too passed by. You see, the priest passed by and wouldn't even look at him. The Levite stopped and looked at him, but walked on. And the reason why is because... The ceremony that the Levite operated in was the offering up of the blood of animals. And the Levite knew there was no way he could cover that sin. Because the law of Moses didn't cover sin. It pushed sin forward. And so he walked on by because he could not deal with the root cause of sin. Hebrews 10 and 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of Bulls and goats should take away sins. Hebrews 7 and 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. In other words, the only good thing the law did was bring a hope that one day there would be something better than what we have. 
And that's what Jesus Christ did. He didn't come to do away with the law. He come to fulfill that law. And Jesus Christ is that better hope that we have been looking for, that humanity craved. It's Jesus Christ. The Levite knew, I can't fix this man's issue. I can't do anything to help this man. But Jesus come in and said, what the law couldn't do, I can do. Amen. Point number eight, but a certain man, a certain Samaritan. Everybody say a certain Samaritan. Amen. The, the Samaritans were regarded as outcasts by the Jews. You've heard me talk about this before. They had no dealings with them. You go back to John chapter four and most specifically verse number nine of John four, where the Samaritan woman at the well says to Jesus, why, why are you talking to me? I, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We don't even talk to one another. You don't have any dealings with us because they were regarded as half-breeds or a mongrel nation to the Jewish people. For Jesus to bring in a Samaritan in this point of the parable is a remarkable touch of satire. It was the backhand of truth in this story. Benjamin Franklin said, the sting in any rebuke is truth. And this was the sting of the story when he brought in the story of the Samaritan, this half-breed mongrel according to the lawyer. And he drove his home, point home with the Samaritan. Even when the religious leaders wanted to insult Jesus, they could find nothing more insulting to say about Jesus than refer to him as he was a Samaritan. And John chapter 8 and verse 48, the Jews answered and said unto him, said unto Jesus, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and thou hast a devil? In other words, the priests, the religious people said, aren't we telling the truth when we say about you, you're nothing but a half-breed mongrel dog and you're possessed with a devil? That's how lowly they thought of the Samaritans and that's how lowly they thought of Jesus. But the ninth point is that the good Samaritan had compassion on him. The Samaritan did not pass the man by. But he came to where the man was in a helpless state on the side of the road. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is likened unto that good Samaritan. Because in Matthew 9 and 36 it says when Jesus saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. Just like the good Samaritan had compassion upon the man who fell among thieves. So Jesus Christ had compassion about those who had come out to seek him and to look out after him point number 10 and they bound up his wounds and the good Samaritan bound up his wounds pouring in the oil and wine where Satan and sin have inflicted great wounds and great pain upon individual lives Jesus wants to heal spiritually mentally emotionally and physically the Samaritan reached down and he bound up the wounds of this man who felt it was not the Samaritan's fault that man was in the condition he was in 
sin. It was not the Samaritan's fault that that man took up with bad company. It was not the Samaritan's fault that that Jewish man decided to go down to Jericho to the cursing and leave the place of blessing to go there. It was irrespective of what the Samaritan thought about the intentions of the man or the lineage of the man or, or, or the race of the man. He didn't care. All the Samaritan knew is there is somebody that's broken. There is somebody that's hurting. There is somebody that's dying and I have a responsibility as another human. I'm so glad Jesus looked on me in my fallen condition in sin and he didn't say well it's not my fault they did that and it's not my responsibility when they sin but Jesus had compassion upon each and every one of us when he saw us dead in our sins and in our trespasses. Amen. And so he poured in the oil and the wine and the Samaritan bound up the man's wounds. Everybody say the man's wounds. And the Bible says specifically the man's bruises, which are internal wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Amen. Oil is a type, amen, of, of the Holy Ghost. And wine is a type of the blood of Jesus. And so the Good Samaritan pours in the Holy Ghost, if you would, and the blood. Jesus is that Good Samaritan who shed his own blood and poured that into the issue of sin. And poured in the oil, which is, amen, the baptism of the Holy Ghost into our life. Amen. Isaiah 61 and 1, um, the, the messianic prophecy of Jesus some 748 years before Christ would appear. Uh, the prophecy is given the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to them that are bound. The first message Jesus would preach would be in the temple when he unrolled the scroll to that point in Isaiah. And he began to quote from the prophet Isaiah that the spirit of the Lord was upon him amen to open the blinded eyes amen to release those out of captives and to liberate them from their bruises and then he rolled up the skull, scroll and set it down and said this day is this now fulfilled in your ears number 11 set him on his own beast because the wounded man was too weak to walk on his own the good Samaritan the good Samaritan lifted him up and put him on his own beast. I'm so glad Jesus didn't leave me laying in my sin. Amen. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. He is the good Samaritan. Jesus reached down. He scooped down and he picked up that broken, somewhat lifeless body of, a, 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 of the man. He did not know of a man who by nature hated, amen, him as a Samaritan. And he put him up on the beast because he knew that he did not have the power to walk on his own. The beast speaks of being upheld by the strength of another. Amen. When we come to the Lord, we are able to depend on his strength and his power to lift us where we cannot stand on our own and because he loves us he amen he scoops down to where we are and he lifts us up out of our sin in our brokenness in our shame in our addiction in our turmoil in our temptation in our pain in our strife in our sickness in our rejection he lifts us up and he sets us up on his own strength 
I'm going to tell you, you can't make, you can't live for God on your own strength. You can't live for God without a prayer life. You can't live for God without being committed to the Lord. Amen. In prayer and in the word of God. Galatians, Paul writes it this way in Galatians 2 and 20 through 21. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not yet I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, he said we couldn't have done it by our own morality. We can't make it by our own righteousness. But Jesus came in as the good Samaritan and he lifted me up and said, I can't, you can't do this, but I can. You can't go to that cross, but I can. You can't shed your blood and cover sin, but I can. And that's why he came because we couldn't fix ourselves. But he can. The Bible says the 12th point and brought him to an end and took care of him, took him to an end. The good Samaritan is Jesus. The wounded man is the world or the sinner. And if Jesus is the type of the good Samaritan, amen, and, and the wounded man is a type of the sinner, then that hotel must be a type of the church. The inn is the place of healing. The inn is the place of health and shelter and safety and security where those who have fallen among Satan's thieves can be cared for. When Jesus brings people to us, listen, when Jesus brings people to us, he leaves us responsible for them. I'm going to say that again. When Jesus brings people to us, he is saying to them, to us, you are now responsible. You see, we miss these grace points just thinking, oh, that story means do good. It means more than do good. It means that we are the innkeepers as the church. Ephesians 4 and 32 says, be a kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake have forgiven you. Acts 2 and 47 and the latter part said, and the Lord added daily unto the church such as should be saved. God is putting people in our care. But it doesn't stop there. It gets, it gets even better. 13, when he departed, the Bible said when he departed, he took out two pence. Two pence in the day of Jesus was about the equivalent to two days wages. So the Samaritan left the innkeeper with enough resources to care for the wounded man for at least two days. Follow me with this. He left the innkeeper with the resources to care for the man for at least two days. Jesus puts the world in our care and says, I'm going to give you power. Holy Ghost power. Empower you to love them. Empower you to heal them. Now listen, Jesus has gone away for 2,000 years. But he left us spiritual resources to be able to help heal those that are broken and wounded. Is that right? The Samaritan said, I'll be back after two days. This ought to cover you. Jesus has been gone 
for 2,000 years. He said, I'll be back, but I'm going to cover you. Now, what does that have anything to do with two days, 2,000 years? Well, Peter says in Peter, 2 Peter 3 and 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as the Samaritan said, I'll be back in two days. Jesus is a type of the Samaritan. What did Jesus say? I'm coming back. If we are to use this as a measuring stick, which the apostle Peter wrote to us in his epistle and said that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. If the Samaritan said, you care for him, I'll be back in two days. Amen. Then Jesus is looking at us saying, you care for the sinner. You care for the broken. I'll be back in a couple of days. That must mean 2,000 years. If one day with God is a thousand years, Hallelujah. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back for the broken and he's coming back for the innkeeper. He's coming back for the sinner and he's coming back for the maid of the house. Amen. Verse 14. I got to hurry along. I'm almost done. Or, Or point 14. The Bible says, and took care of him. The Lord has placed in his church various ministries that are to care for those who he brings who are wounded by the robbers of this world. That is sin. The lives of these people are not always a pretty sight. And it takes a lot of care to restore them to full health and strength. But I want you to know something. It's our commission. God never, listen, this is so important because I'm going to slap churchology around right now. God never called anybody to sit on a pew. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching the truth. God never called anybody to come to church twice a week and wave their hand and shout amen. God called us to be the innkeeper, to take care of those that are wounded. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to be the innkeeper that God has called us to be, wounds aren't pretty. They're not pretty. You, you got to be fragile with them. You got, or you got to handle them with care because they're fragile. We, we were getting brother, brother John in the boat and he was in obvious pain. Amen. Brother Reuben, I watched Brother Reuben take the greatest of care to lift him up. and everything. He didn't just snatch him up by his arm and say, oh, you get in the boat. We can get no, we, we, there was so much care to lift him up in the boat because he was in obvious pain and in obvious agony. And the most basic instinct of care combined with the nature of the Holy Ghost in Brother Reuben. Brother Reuben reached down and began to lift beyond his own strength and starts lifting him up and gently pulling him in so he doesn't, doesn't aggravate the wound anymore. We didn't know how bad the wound was. We didn't know what all was going on there, but we knew he was in pain and he was hurting. And it was now our responsibility once he got on the boat. It was now our responsibility to take care of him. Brother Reuben got behind the wheel and he drove as smooth as I'd seen him drive all day. I sat beside Brother John, helped him get his arm up, take pressure off his shoulder. Amen. We helped him off the boat. We helped him up the hill. We got him and Brother David got him in the truck and off they went. You see, you see his, his rapture was his wife getting him from here, from there to the hospital. His care was in the hands of us that were helping him get from the water to safety and get 
get him up the hill and into the car. You see, God is going to put people in our lives that are broken and they're in pain and they're in agony. And you've got to learn to handle them like the innkeeper and the good Samaritan. You've got you, you to be willing to look at them and say, it's going to take a little extra time. I may need to use my legs instead of my back. I may have to go a little bit slower. I have to be a little more cautious. But ultimately, my responsibility is to make sure that this one that is broken is cared for until the day that the Samar good Samaritan comes back to pay up on everything that I've done to take care of this broken man. Sinners aren't just sinners when they walk in this door. Visitors aren't just visitors when they walk in this door. They are broken, fragile humanity that has fallen among the thieves of sin. And when they walk in, we can't afford to turn up our nose at them. Amen. Because we don't know them. We can't afford to not embrace them just because we're shy. When they walk in those doors, in other words, the good Samaritan put them in our hands and said, I love you. I, 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 I entrust you and I love you enough. You're going to take care of them. Our responsibility is to put an arm around them and say, come on in. Everything's going to be all right. That's okay. Amen. Amen. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. That's the responsibility of the church. Yes, they're going to whimper and they're going to whine. Amen. Yes, they're going to have problems and it's going to be messy. And you know what? They're going to they're going to bleed all over your suede couch cushions and they might even vomit on your brand new carpet. But God trusted you enough. Who blessed you with that suede couch anyway? Who blessed you with the fine rug anyway? Who blessed you with the inn anyway? It was the Lord. And we've got to say God's going to send us people that are broken with addiction, broken marriages, broken homes on the rocks of life. And we've got to be able to pull them in and say, I'll bind up the wounds. Lord, I'll take care of them. You just give me the strength. I'll handle this. But what we too often do in the 21st century church is we say, oh, welcome to our church. Pastor, you got them? Welcome to First Church. We're so glad you're here. Let me connect you with somebody that really gives a rip. Here, over here. Come over here. This is the postmodern church. We think church services cure things. Church services are nothing, nothing more than checkups. It's not, it's not long-term care. And if God is going to do what God wants to do, in Yolo County, it's going to be when somebody says, I'm the innkeeper. I'm, the innkeeper could have looked at the Samaritan sister Priscilla and said, but no, listen, we just redecorated. Could have. I don't want that bleeding mess here. We've got guests that we want to impress. We're looking for that fifth star on Yelp. And Hotels.com and TripAdvisor and whatever else. We ain't got time for the, I don't need him moaning over in the room for the next two nights when my kids are trying to sleep. I don't, I don't need to be getting up and down all night long dealing with, I just raised kids. I dealt with their issues all night. Now you want me to deal with his issues all night? Second Corinthians 5 and 18 says, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at somebody and tell them you're a minister. And tell somebody you're a minister. 
That, that, that doesn't mean you need a chair on a platform or a plaque above a door with your own office. Paul said, we are all ministers of reconciliation. Jude chapter, uh, Jude chapter 1 and verses 22 and 23. In Jude's short epistle, he says this. In, in verse 22, he says, and some have compassion, making a difference. So one ministry is reaching by compassion, making a difference. In verse 23, said, some saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Let me move on as I'm beginning to close. And he said, and whatsoever thou spendest more, Sometimes when we consider the great personal cost of ministering to others, it can seem a bit overwhelming. But whatever it costs, the wounded of this city must be cared. Whatever it costs, the broken of this city have got to be careful. And remember this. The good Samaritan promised he would repay us for everything we spent. Hallelujah. He said, whatever more, whatever more they have spent, amen, I'm going to take care of it. Mark chapter 10 and verses 29 through 30. And Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Then Jesus said it like this in Luke 6 and 38, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, shall it be measured to you again. In other words, what Jesus is saying is quit panicking over the part of being put out a little bit. He said, when I come back, I'm going to repay you. You're going to get everlasting life. You're going to be blessed in this life and you're going to be blessed in the life to come. Amen. Brother Lucas, if you'll come. And point 16, he said, when I come again, I'm going to repay you. The good Samaritan promised that he would return. He would return. And he would reward the innkeeper for taking care of the broken man. I'm going to tell you something first, church. We, you come to this point in, in, in your walk with God. What am I doing for the lost? You, you, ever, you ever feel like you, you hit a wall in living for God? It's natural. You ever feel like you're just spinning your wheels? The, nothing will recenter you to the purpose and the will of God like teaching a home Bible study. Amen. N nothing, let me say, few things will put your problems in perspective like somebody else's problem. Remember, it can always get worse. My wife and I were talking today, this morning, and uh, she's had this dental procedure that, that just, the dentist's office dropped the ball on it. It's, it's been a deal. Now we're going to go on vacation and she's got to chew gently because they didn't do their job and get the appointment when they were supposed to. And, I mean, it's just frustrating. And, and, and then I have, to, 
have a procedure tomorrow and it just unexpectedly and it's like all just falling us. And, and then we call Pastor Joe Anderson. And I'm watching this young man weep on the phone because his baby's life is hanging in the balance right now. And I called my wife and I got off the phone with him and I said, I want you to know something. Yeah, we may be inconvenienced right now. And I told her about what's happening with baby Santiago and Sister Delphi. And I said, our affliction are but a light. We get too tunnel vision with our own life. And if we're not careful, we think every one of our molehills is a mountain until we look at somebody else's situation. One of the greatest dangers we can have in living for God only being focused on us. Jesus said, lift your eyes unto the that's where your help is coming. Jesus said, lift up your eyes into the harvest. Jesus paralleled it. Help is from the hill. In the same vernacular of the Greek where he said, lift up your eyes to the hills. That your help is. He said, lift up your eyes into the harvest. They are white. Ready to harvest. I think what Jesus was trying to say was this. If you feel overwhelmed by your problems, go to the harvest field and reap a harvest. Amen. Amen. God, God is calling First Church. God is calling us, right? God's put people in your path. And, 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 and in, in hindsight and in retrospect, of course, I'm saying in retrospect, but it would be in your future. When you look back at this point a few months from now, you're going to look back and say, all that time, they were wanting a Bible study, but I was so focused on my issue. Lift up your eyes into this. Get ready, because God's going to come knocking on your door. Most, some of you will remember this, Brother Henderson, I'm sure you will. You remember motels used to have a neon sign right, a, right below their name, you know. You'd pull up in the parking lot and say, Roach Coach Motel. Or usually it was Sands Inn, you know. You saw Sands Inn, you know, you were getting the cheapest room. And you needed to sleep in your own bedding and two cans of Raid when you walked in. But right underneath... No, I remember this. Right underneath the name of the motel, it had neon sign. It was two words. No and vacancy. And this was before this. Don't shock me. This is before you could look on your phone. How many remember that? You'd pull up. You'd pull it. Man, you'd whip around. You'd see that sign. And, and it, it, them white glowing neon lights. Vacancy. Man, you'd take the next exit. Whip back. Go around. Pulling there and walk in like, man, remember those old diamond-shaped plastic keychains they had on that old ugly ring? And, and you wonder how many people had that key that didn't turn it in for their $15 deposit and all that kind of stuff. And, and then you walk in there and you're exhausted, you're tired. Hey, man, you're, will, you're finally willing to part with your $19.99 for that room that night. My age and myself for some of you. And you, 
the desk clerk comes out. Yeah, how can I help you? I, I need a room for the night. Oh, yeah, we don't have any vacancy. But only one light's on, and it says vacancy. Oh, yeah, that bulb went out a long time ago. And you remember how ticked off you were? Like, you know, I split lanes of traffic. I risked my life to get back here. I feel the Holy Ghost when I, I said this Sunday, and I'm going to say it here, and I feel the same touch of the Holy Jesus is passing by, seeing what you're saying. He has the wounded with him. He's looking for a place they can be healed. Is the vacancy light on or the no vacancy light on? Because if he comes by us and we're like, well, Lord, I'm just too busy. I got too many things going. I just don't have time. I just don't look at all the things that I have on my plate. I'm so overwhelmed. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not even on an argument. He's just going to hit the accelerator and he's going to go to the next one where they are proudly displaying there's a vacancy. And Jesus says, I'll take them there. They've got room. I don't know about you, but I want my vacancy time to shine bright. Lord, I've got room for the wounded. I don't care what their problems are, what their issues are, how messy they are, how bloodied up they are. Lord, if you need somebody to take care of them, here I am, God. I'll be the innkeeper. Would you stand with me? Lord, I'll be the innkeeper. I'll be the one. I'm willing to give up my, my, my leisure night. I'm, I'm willing to give up that hobby. I'm willing to do it because, Lord, you've called me to be an innkeeper. Say, Pastor, well, my, my, my inn, my motel is a little disorganized. Some of you will remember this. When you used to go in the hotel room, they had a sign hanging on the back of the doorknob. It was a two-sided sign. One side said, do not disturb. And the other said, housekeeping needed. Remember that? First thing I'd do is hang up, do not disturb. But it never failed. They would always open that door at 7 o'clock trying to get in. God's willing to help you clean the end. He's willing to help you get things organized through the Spirit. But when He passes by your door, if He sees the do not disturb sign, He's a gentleman. He'll keep passing by. I think what we need to do tonight is flip that sign around and say, you know what, Lord? There's some housekeeping that's needed here. Lord, I, I, I want there to be a vacancy. I, I want there to be room at my table on Sunday to to make a connection with somebody after church. I want there to be room in my living room so I can teach a Bible study. Lord, I, I, I want to be that innkeeper that you can entrust, oh God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I want to be that innkeeper, oh God, that you can entrust. Lord, that, that I, can, I can help. Lord, I can bind up the wound. I can pour in the oil and pour in the wine. Lord, I'll watch them. You can, you can count on it, Lord. You can trust them here at First Church Woodland. God. Lord, whatever their issue, whatever their problem is, I know they may be a handful. That's okay. There's a vacancy here. There's some people that'll love them and care for them right here. Would you just lift your hands right where you are right now? Amen. If that's how you feel, if that's your sincerest prayer, 
Lord, I, I, I'll be that. I'll do it, Lord. There'll be a vacancy in my in, at my place, oh God. Lord, I'll open that door. I'll be that man or woman you've called me to be, God, to help the hurting and to help the lost and to help the dying. Amen. But I warn you, if you pray this prayer, he's going to come knocking. If you pray it sincerely, beware, he's going to come knocking because this city is filled with broken people. The, the communities around us are filled with broken people. The communities around us in this city, they're filled with alcoholics and drug addicts. They're filled with people. People that have been broken by sin and they're buried in their shame but I'm telling you there's coming a knock on your door very soon there's going to come a knock on your door and in the arms of the good Samaritan is going to be somebody that needs the love of God somebody that needs to know about repentance somebody that needs to know about having their sins washed away in the waters of baptism hallelujah hallelujah that's it go ahead just let the Holy Ghost pour over you fresh right now in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Lord I want to be that innkeeper Lord you're the good Samaritan I want to be the innkeeper God in the name of Jesus help me rearrange the furniture help me oh God to clean out the room so that when you arrive with that one that's hurting oh God I'll be available Lord Lord, I'll be ready in the name of Jesus. Uh -huh, yeah. In the name of the Lord. Watch. Why don't you right now reach over and pray with somebody near you. Amen. If you feel comfortable, just begin to pray with them in the Holy Ghost. Amen. God is pouring it out right now. I felt it this Sunday. Amen. I felt it Sunday afternoon in Backerville. I feel it on a Tuesday night right now. God is getting it. There's no coincidence that Brother Aber's coming in for these two weeks. Amen. God is setting the stage for some of you to be disciple makers. God is setting the stage. Amen. For some of you. Amen. To be that innkeeper in the name of Jesus. Your, your kitchen table is going to have Bible studies taught at it in the name of Jesus your living room is going to see people bend their knee and repent of their sins and be filled with the Holy Ghost Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.